Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Today, I have in studio my daughter, Kaylee Faith. Now, I would imagine that almost all of you, or many of you I know, know who Kaylee is. You've prayed for her. I still meet people all the time who followed our journey, followed her journey through social media, and we are so grateful for literally the tens of thousands of people. I'm still stunned by it. I used to post updates about Kaylee's situation, and I just never dreamed that we would have people literally all over, of course, not just the United States, but literally all over the world that were praying for Kaylee. And so we are so grateful for that. And so what I wanted to do is because I still get asked on an ongoing basis, how is Kaylee? How is her health? What's going on? Can you explain a little bit about the disease that she has? And so I thought the best thing to do would be to have her on Taboo Talk to give a little bit of an update. You know, just last week, my wife and I were at the grocery store, a place that I don't normally go very often with her. And I walked past a lady about two times on a couple of different aisles, and she just looked familiar. And I said, ma'am, do I know you? You look so familiar. And she said, well, my name is, and I don't remember her name, but she mentioned her name, and I didn't recognize the name. And I said, well, maybe, I, maybe I've got you confused with someone else. And she said, well, what is your name? And I said, Jay Louder. And she said, well, I thought that was you. I know who you are. And I said, well, do you know me from preaching? She says, oh, no, I don't know you from preaching. I know you from your daughter. And she said, I, I followed her story and just so glad to hear that she's doing better. So that was literally last Friday, about six days ago. So we are constantly hearing people that are still praying for Kaylee. So Kaylee, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you. It's This I guess, our first podcast together, isn't it, right? It is, yes. Yeah. So great to have you. Well, the first thing that I want to do is we're going to kind of separate today's podcast really into two segments. And the first one is going to be really more of an explanation of what happened to Kaylee. I know for some of you, you know this down to the detail because you read every post. And then for some of you, there's some confusion. And I, quite honestly, I don't even know that I completely understand. But Kaylee can give a really accurate description of not only what happened, but a little bit about her disease, about where her health is now. And so that's kind of where we're going to start off today. So Kaylee, for those people, and before I ask you this, let me just say, I've been so blessed about how many people who their lives have been inspired or challenged or spiritually they were helped what Kaylee went through. I'll never forget one story in particular. I got to tell this right quick. So gosh, I don't know. It was probably nine or 10 months after Kaylee was diagnosed with her disease. And a lady reached out to me through social media. She instant messaged me and said, I just want you to know how grateful I am for you and your family being transparent and authentic and sharing Kaylee's story. She said, the very day that your daughter went into the hospital, and she is an overseas missionary, she said, I had three kids. The very day that your daughter went in the hospital, my husband died unexpectedly of a heart attack. And she said, here I am overseas as a missionary trying to do God's work, and here I am left with small children. I don't know how I'm going to provide for myself. I can't understand why God would allow this to happen to our family when we're doing everything we can to serve him. And she said, you don't know how many days 
uh, I was so broken and so hurting. And she said the first thing I would do every morning when I woke up was turn on social media to get an update on Kaylee. And she said, obviously, we still struggle. Obviously, we still have questions. But Kaylee's story has been the hope and the inspiration for me to keep moving on. And we've heard so many like that. So anyway, Kaylee, let's jump right on in. And the first thing is, for those that don't really know exactly what happened that night, could you just kind of give us an overview? I mean, you were playing competitive volleyball. You had never been to the hospital a day in your life since the day you were born. And then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, this girl with perfect health, something completely unravels. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that night? Yes. So this all started, I guess this would have been March 17th because I went in March 18th. And I was at Roadhouse with some friends. We are just eating dinner, have a good time. And I noticed that I went to cross my legs and I they were dead weight. And so I couldn't do it without picking them up with my hands. And so... I told my cousin about it. She was with me, and she she said, "Dad, that's pretty odd." And but then I remembered I'd been in like a little rollover ATV accident, nothing major. So I thought, okay, you know, shrug it off. Maybe it's just legs are sore, whatever. So I went home. I told you and mom about it, and y'all said if it was still a problem tomorrow, if it was still going on, we would get it checked out. And so went to bed that night, and everything was as normal as it, as it could be. And I woke up, I think it was just, I don't know what time specifically, but I remember screaming and feeling like I was getting stabbed all over, but I couldn't move because I was dead weight all over at this point. And I remember just being really scared and calling for you and mom, and y'all came in there, and mom laid with me until I fell asleep, and the next morning we headed over to the hospital where everything started. Well, what I remember is, is I'd been on the road and uh, it had been a pretty busy schedule, and I was looking forward. I think it was somewhere around spring break, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was looking forward to having some time with my family, and I'd been in town, I think, about 24 hours. And I remember I was laying on the sofa watching TV when you came in that night, and you told the story, and I thought, this is weird. But honestly, I wasn't really alarmed because, like you, Mom had told me that week that I was preaching that you'd had an accident, but it wasn't anything major. I didn't need to worry about it. You know, you just kind of got banged around, but you were completely fine. And when you said that, I thought the same thing you did. I thought, well, she's probably just sore. And Mm -hmm. I remember in the middle of the night hearing, I I wish I had the right adjectives to uh, describe that scream because I've never heard you or anyone else scream like that. And my first thought was that someone was in your bedroom. I literally thought someone was attacking you. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but once mom and I went in there and you were screaming and and talking about you felt like you were being stabbed all over, I remember walking downstairs with mom to try to find some Advil or pain relief or whatever mom was going to give you. And I actually turned to mom. Again, I'm embarrassed to say this because how would I have known? But I turned to your mom and I said, I mean, seriously, how can she be in this much pain? She was eating at a steakhouse with her her friends a few hours ago. I mean, there's no way anybody can be in this much pain that quick. Of course, I was about very groggy and half out of it, but it just seemed surreal. It seemed Mm -hmm. impossible that, I mean, you were walking fine when you came home. You, You mentioned what had happened, but it was unfathomable to me that you could be in this amount of pain. So, okay, so picking back up the story, so... 
the next morning you end up going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so they began this series of tests. And I didn't even go. It was just you and mom. Yes. Well, initially it was me and mom at the ER now, which is outside of the hospital. And they ran a few tests and then they said, yeah, we, we don't have the answers. We were not really sure what this is. And so they suggested that we head over to the emergency room in Wichita. And so we went to the emergency room. They admitted me and things just took a turn pretty quickly. I remember being very out of it, being on a lot of pain medication, being in constant pain, nausea, and just getting poked over and over again all over for days until they said, all right, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do either. And we think that you should probably go to UT Southwestern in Dallas. And they transferred me there by ambulance. All right, now hang on. You're going too fast. You're going too fast. So at first I didn't go with Missy and Kaylee in the morning because – I mean, there's no way we could have dreamed that this was going to be as serious as it was. Now, once they went from like the clinic care to the actual hospital, Missy calls and says, hey, you know, something serious here is going on. I load up, go to the hospital. And so as Miss Kaylee said, they don't know what's going on. So they did different tests. I know one of them was for Guillain-Barre. I mean, I didn't be pronouncing that right, but uh, Guillain-Barre, and they had no idea. Kaylee just kind of brushes over it and talks about she was in pain, but I mean, she was in horrible pain. It's hard. You can't really describe it. I've never experienced anything like it in my life. And so now it's, it's, yeah, it was painful, but I mean, it, it was excruciating. It was unbearable. Well, I remember that when you were in the hospital, that not only were you in this intense pain, but you couldn't quit. I mean, throwing up, even though there was nothing left to throw up, you were dry heaving. Mm-hmm. And I've got a couple of friends that are doctors in this town, and they came to her room, and I'm like, what is going on? I mean, my daughter is wasting away. I mean, literally, it was, there's no way to communicate how quickly that Kaylee's body was wasting away. And when I say that she was dry heaving, I, I don't mean like occasionally. This was going on hour after hour after hour after hour on top of all these body aches and pains that she was having all over her body. And we, I, I, again, it's so difficult to try to articulate this. You, It'd be the equivalency of somebody telling me this morning that they flew to the moon with Bigfoot. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it was so crazy how overnight my daughter, who plays competitive volleyball, has never been sick is in this horrific pain. She's on, what was it, morphine? What was it? What all were they giving you? I mean, it started out with morphine, and then, you know, I'm obviously describing this is not going away. This isn't getting better. It seems as if it's getting worse. And so, you know, we went from morphine to Dilaudid, kind of just went up the ladder, everything you could think of. And nothing worked. And so finally, and, and it's not a slight against our hospital. It's just they're not equipped to diagnose extremely rare diseases. And so this goes on for three days. And at nighttime, I have to leave. Missy stays there the whole time. I have to leave because we have a younger son who has to be at school. And so I would go home at night. And then after I took him to school, then I would go back. And we would just literally, if I felt like we're watching our daughter die. Well, they didn't know what to do. They ran test after test. And so then Kaylee, that's where we picked up. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they said, okay, we can't do anything here. We have no idea what's going on. So that's when they said, as you stated, you need to go to a hospital that specializes in detecting 
unknown or hard to detect diseases. And so you were loaded up in an ambulance. Mm -hmm. You and mom rode together in the ambulance. I followed behind in the pickup. And then I don't know if you remember, because I know you were out of it a lot, but do you remember what happened when you got to UT Southwestern, which is this mega, mega hospital that it's a phenomenal hospital. But do you remember that night when you got there? Do you remember riding the ambulance? Do you remember what they told us after you were there for not very long? I do. I remember getting in the ambulance and I remember mom being there. And I do remember a little bit of the ride there, but I don't remember getting there. And that's kind of when things were started to become blurry off and on throughout the months. But I do recall being on the way, but I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, no, no, you, I mean, just, it was so crazy because I'm in the pickup behind you and I'm watching this ambulance and it, again, it's still, it's like, what is going on? And what I remember, what stands out the most to me, of course, we get to the hospital. Uh, they take you not into a hospital room. They take you into the intensive care unit. And so I, I want to be accurate about the time frame, but I'm thinking it was like a, about two hours. And I may be wrong. If mom were here, she might say it was four hours. But I just remember you were in ICU, and they came out and the first really horrific news that I remember was we don't know what is going on with your daughter. We don't know what the issue is, but we do know what, we don't know the cause, but we know the effect. Your daughter has lung and heart damage. Again, this was such a shocking statement. Like what? I mean, is this a joke? I mean, heart and lung damage. I mean, we, we, Three, three days ago, my daughter was out in the country. We'd been out fishing, and we'd been out riding four-wheelers. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And so, anyway, the journey began. And you might pick up a little bit here, Kaylee, and, and, and tell our listeners. So, again, I know some of that's foggy. So when does it kind of become clear to you? It, let's don't fast forward too much because it's weeks before we really get any details, but do you remember anything in that time frame, those first few weeks where we're still trying to find out what in the world is going on? I remember it becoming very overwhelming very quickly because it became pretty evident that there was something seriously wrong and no one knew how to fix it. And I picked up on this when there was six to 10 different types of doctors coming in the room every day asking questions and using phrases I've never heard in my life. And that's when I was like, okay, this is not very good. I remember the fear kind of setting in at that point as well and it taking a few weeks to actually get a diagnosis. Just the continuance of being poked and running tests. I remember getting exhausted pretty quickly, the lack of sleep that we were getting, especially in the beginning. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, and for me, that... It was so difficult to think here we're in the one of the best hospitals in the world that specializes in diagnosing these strange diseases. And even then, it took them three weeks. I remember finding out the day before Easter, and they come in and tell us that you have a disease known as stills. And I'm like, I've never heard of stills. And matter of fact, on a side note, there are many medical professionals that have never heard about stills. So I remember finding out the day before Easter, they came in and notified me and your mother that you had been diagnosed with stills, adult onset of stills. And of course, we've never heard of stills. And matter of fact, 
we've been in the ER since then, I don't know, literally dozens of times, and many of the nurses there had never even heard of it. So I was completely caught off guard. I still don't know that I completely understand all that. Kaylee, can you tell our listeners what actually is adult onset stills? Adult onset stills is it's a rare inflammatory disease, and it affects a lot of different things. Obviously, severe joint pain, rashes, extremely high fevers. I remember one time my fever got up to like 105. And so it's it's one issue, but it comes along with a thousand other little ones. And so even as, you know, we these symptoms would pop up and we would deal with them or find a medicine that might help it, then we would have another problem on hand. And so HLH is also a cousin of stills. And although I don't know how to say the official medical name for it, it's HLH, which I later on found out that I had as well. Well, I, I remember this when we found out what this diagnosis was that we got online. Of course, we didn't tell you this, but with stills, HLH, and all that you had together, that the mortality rate was above 90%. And mom and I are just completely devastated. Of course, we tried to camouflage that in front of you as, as much as we possibly could. But anyway, not to park here too long. So bottom line is Kaylee's sick. She's in the hospital six months. I know people that have been in the hospital for a week and go, I'm always about to lose my mind. We're talking about six months, not in and out six months, not go home, come back, literally living in a hospital six months straight. Sometimes that's ICU. She was in and out of ICU. And I mean, she had her lungs drained. She had a she, her neck was cut open to run a wire down to her heart, lung damage, heart damage. The list goes on and on. It's not just the disease, but it's what the disease does. And I think, I, I mean, I'm not a medical professional here, but I think stills is an accurate name for it because you hurt so bad that you don't want to move. I mean, that may sound cheesy, but no, no. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. I don't know if that's why they named it stills, but it makes sense to me because when your whole body hurts, I mean, in weird things like yes. your ankles, your feet, your knees, your legs, your arms. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that my youngest son couldn't stand to hear Kaylee scream because this was hours on end. And I'm talking about fentanyl, the biggest pain medications that are available and nothing would stop the pain. He would go down to the waiting room and could still hear Kaylee screaming in the waiting room. So, but let's not park too long here. So you're diagnosed with stills. We're in the hospital for six months. You're on these crazy amounts of steroids. They ended up finding this shot that's over $30,000 a month that you still get in order to keep you alive. You're, you, you, you're put into a wheelchair eventually because you can't even walk. Your health is completely deteriorated. Your skin and bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of all that, there is, well, I don't want to get into that yet. So, but that's kind of the effects. Now, a, a lot of people want to say, okay, well, and, and I have people tell me all the time and have for a long time, man, I'm so glad that Kaylee's healed and she's doing well. Well, Kaylee is doing better. She's not healed because there is no cure for this disease. Now, of course, we pray that God will eventually do that, but it would be a miracle. But Kaylee, give people an update now that there's kind of an understanding about how you got it, what happened. And by the way, for those of you saying, well, how do you get stills? Nobody knows. There, there is no explanation. And I will say one of the benefits to Kaylee's sickness is, is now her case has been a case study. And they are using, because it's so rare, so few people get it, they're using 
what Kaylee went through to help other people who get this disease. But give people an update, Kaylee, about where are you at right now? You're obviously not in a hospital room. We're not in and out of the emergency room as much as we used to be. So tell them where you're at now physically. Now is pretty stable. I haven't had a flare-up. Those can happen. Flare-ups is pretty much when all of that starts over again. Now that we know what medicine works and how to treat it, those usually don't last too long. But I've gone without a flare-up for, I think, maybe a year. And just to put into perspective a little bit how inflamed my body was, they check a lot of different levels, take a lot of different tests. And at one point, my ferritin level was 26,000, and the normal was 1 to 300, I think. Something like that. And so just... From then versus now, I don't deal with those things. I I sometimes get joint pain if it's about the four-week four week mark when it's time to get my shot. But other than that, my health has been pretty steady overall, I would say. I have a tendency to get a little more sick with your average person with little things. But other than that, I would say things are definitely so much better. Yeah, well, and your immune system, because of this, has been extremely compromised. And so you do pick up a lot of things, sicknesses that go around. So uh, anyway, Kaylee, so all in all, you would say that even though your immune system is compromised that, and you still do get your shot every month, Mm -hmm. Kaylee now works part-time here at Harvest Ministries, started about three months ago. So we're glad to have her here. Of course, she was for a long time unable to hold a job because of her health. So she is doing much, much better. Of course, again, she still requires ongoing care, still has to get blood work done. And occasionally, you mentioned earlier, Kayla, like you'll have these flare-ups like of rashes and things that mm-hmm. just show up out of nowhere. Yes. But all in all, you would say that your health is, obviously, it's way better than it was. Yes, I would say so. So, Kaylee, as we before we move on to the second segment of this podcast, we've talked about the physical side, but, I mean, there has also been an emotional component to this. And, I mean, are you comfortable talking about that, you know, because I know like for me personally, I'm not a person who struggles with depression, but you let me get sick. And of course my, I've never been sick like you, but you let me get sick for a few days and I start getting emotionally discouraged Mm -hmm. and depressed. And Mm -hmm. I think that's true with anybody. Could you just briefly talk about, we talked about the physical, but could you just briefly talk about the mental aspect? Yeah. I think back then uh, I was a lot more angry, a lot more confused. I had a lot more questions and now I feel like I'm more of a place that I may not just ever have an answer for that, but there has to be a purpose because there's no way I should have made it out of it anyways. And so there are things that I still deal with from that time. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I had to go to the emergency room when I was out of town, those emotions, those feelings, the smell of the hospital, things like that bring certain emotions back and to be honest, just a sense of PTSD from that time in my life. But I feel like I'm, I've learned to deal with it a lot differently and I'm working through it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and excuse me. (coughs) And Kaylee did have to go through some counseling because there was PTSD for understandable reasons. And I know that even for Missy and I just watching our daughter suffer and you hear people talk about, well, you know, I could have died I mean, we were literally, I was constantly dealing with the fact of knowing that my daughter may not survive this. I remember one night that I was going to leave the hospital and go home and handle a few situations and then turn around and come back. And I walked out of the intensive care unit. This is like the fourth or fifth time she was in intensive care. 
And the doctor caught me in the hallway. And I said, sir, I'm going to run back to my hometown two hours away from Dallas. And I'll be back as soon as I can get back. But it'll be within probably 16, 18 hours. And he said, Mr. Louder, that wouldn't be a good idea. I, I think you need to stay the night. Now, of course, she was in ICU. I remember they had ice packs on your inner thighs, ice packs on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. But in essence, what he was telling me is, is Mr. Louder, without saying it, we don't know if your daughter's going to make it. I mean, I knew the message that he was sending, and I didn't end up going. So, yeah, there, there were some real struggles emotionally, and that's common, I think, for anybody, again, who is going through a health crisis where it not only affects you physically, but it affects you emotionally. Mm-hmm. And there's been and no shame in that. There, there's been plenty of therapy, and there's been plenty of counseling, and you've embraced that. It's nothing you're embarrassed or ashamed of, and mm-hmm. it's been very helpful. Okay, now let's move on, Kaylee. I want to kind of transition to the second aspect of this podcast today. And because I think this is where the rubber rubber meets the road. There are going to be people listening to this podcast today, and I doubt anybody that's ever had stills, but they're having their own issues. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's finances. Maybe they lost a job. Maybe it's a health crisis of a different kind. And a lot of people have, I I don't really know that anybody's asked me this, but I know they've wondered. Now that I say that, I can't remember a couple people that did, but Kelly, are you or were you angry with God about going from a healthy person to a person who has this disease that has no cure? Um, yes. And as I said, there were times, and it does come in waves, and it did come in waves then. But I do think when I was in the hospital, it was almost so overwhelming and so unfathomable that I was in that situation that I was just sad. And I saw people my age living normal lives, of course, and you envy that and you want that and you're in a hospital bed and it's hard to deal with, but I think that I was so distracted with that sadness and the pain and, you know, all the tests that were being ran and things like that. I didn't have a real anger until really when I got out of the hospital, I went through rehabilitation next door to the hospital. And about that time is when that, that real anger had set in because I hadn't looked at myself in the mirror for months. And I remember when I did, I hated what I saw. The steroids had made me huge. I, a lot of things, I didn't like about myself at that point from what had happened. And I couldn't believe that God would allow it to happen. Would you say you're still angry with God or are there still times where you feel like, God, this isn't fair. I I mean, or have you finally gotten past that? I think it still comes in waves when I, I get really sick or I do have a flare up. It's easy to become angry because In my human mind, I want to say, well, haven't I been through enough? You know, why are we going through this again? But sometimes you're just never going to have answers to questions like that. Yeah, well, I I think, I mean, I'll I'll say right here, and again, people that follow this story already know this, but I was extremely angry with God. Now, let me back up and say this. I know God owes me nothing. I know if God were really going to give me what I deserve, God would send me to hell today. I get that. I know that just because I'm a believer or just because I'm an evangelist doesn't entitle me to anything. Again, I, I know Jay Louder, and I know what Jay Louder deserves, and he doesn't deserve good. But still, human nature is to do what you and I did. It's to say, God, why? I mean, this is not fair. I know for your case, especially with all the, especially with women, all the pressure that's put on about beauty, and mm-hmm. you have gained all this weight because of the excessive amount of steroids, not to mention it created all these back problems and mm-hmm. so on and so on. And so there was a real anger at God from me 
the people that follow the story know I I got to where I couldn't even read the Bible. I quit praying, and I'm not talking about for a few days. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. In my mind's eye, and this is wrong, but I always said, God, you can do whatever you want to me, but not my kids. My kids are off limits. And so, and honestly, I was also angry at God because, and I don't mean this in a brag, a braggadocious way, but I don't know of anybody who's ever been sick that had more people praying for them than you did. I remember I could post something on social media and 30,000 people within 24 hours would read it, comment. I couldn't even read all the comments. There were people all over the world praying for you. And I even know of churches who normally don't even have prayer for certain individuals because they're too large. They can't do that for everybody to get sick. That literally had special times of prayer during worship service for you. And so that made me even anger at God that, okay, Lord, we have tens of thousands of people praying, and Kaylee's not only not getting better, Kaylee's getting worse. And so I relate to that. I went through that season of anger at God, even when I began to heal spiritually. Like you, I had triggers Mm -hmm. where I'm like, God, when is enough enough? I mean, especially after going to the ER, Mm -hmm. literally dozens of times. They knew us on a first-name basis. We were like celebrities there. Oh, there's Jay and Missy and Kaylee again. So, yeah, I, I went through that, and like you, I still go through it every now and again, but nowhere near to the degree that I once did. Mm-hmm. And, and let me just say, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, maybe you're there right now. I, maybe you just lost your husband or wife, or maybe you're going through a divorce, or maybe one of your kids are sick, or you lost your job, or you got a diagnosis of cancer or leukemia. The list goes on and on of what the pain could be. And maybe right now you're there. Hey, let me just say something to you. God can handle your anger. And just because you're angry at God doesn't mean God's angry at you. It doesn't change your his love for you. It may temporarily change your love for him, but it doesn't change his love for you. And so I, I say it's okay. Kaylee, let me ask you this. How has what's happened affected your view of God? I mean, has it changed your perspective of him? Let me, let me say this right quick, and some people are not going to want to hear this. There's a song that churches sing on a regular basis, and I don't know the name of it, but this is the chorus. He'll never let you down. And they repeat this, he'll never let you down. God will never let you down. And to this day, I can't sing, I can't sing that song. Mm-hmm. It bothers me when I hear it because I felt like God did let me down. Now, let me quantify that. What I mean is, is God did not live up to my expectations. Of course, he's not obligated to live up to my expectations. But has it changed your view of God? Because there for a while, I said, God, you're not a loving father. No father would do this to their children. And so, again, temporarily, because of my hurt and my anger and my pain, has it changed your view of God? No, I don't think so. No? It, it did me for a while, just my perception of him, where I felt like, well, I told him. You're not a loving God. You wouldn't allow this to happen if you were. Again, I'm not proud of saying that. I'm just being authentic. Yeah, I think, like I said, there's waves of like uncertainty or questioning, but I, I'm not, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. What about this? Has it affected your view of yourself or your life or your future? Now that it did for a long time. Explain that. Well, just, you know, especially at first, couldn't get rid of that weight for a good probably two years after that. And so just viewing yourself and seeing that over and over again every day, praying that you'll lose some weight or, you know, the scars will subside and nothing, nothing is changing and nothing was changing, but I had completely changed. I did not look like myself. I didn't feel like myself. 
And I knew that obviously other people could see that. I mean, it, it was no secret that I had moon face from the steroids. And so dealing with that for a while was very hard. I couldn't see anything past where I was at. I couldn't see myself not in that body. I couldn't see myself being able to hold a job or being able to get out of bed or being able to make it up and down the stairs on my own. And so being stuck in that place mentally and not even really being able to envision myself in the future or where it could take me kept me in a bad place for a long time. But I think now, as we talked about earlier, therapies happened and things like that. I've learned to deal with it. I feel confident in who I am and I know that I've grown from the situation. So I don't deal with it as much as I I have. I think that's an issue with a lot of people. I think right now there are people listening to this podcast that it's hard to see where I can be because of where I'm stuck at right now. Exactly. I think that's one of the reasons that people commit suicide. Mm -hmm. They, you tell them, oh, well, you got such a big future ahead of you. It doesn't matter now. You can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going, I don't want a future because they can only see that my future is going to be like my past. Mm -hmm. Um, it also affected my view of life and death. You always hear, oh, you know, life can change in a minute, and you never know what's around the corner, and I've heard that, and I'm like, okay. But watching you go through what you went through, and it wasn't, you mentioned scars. We're talking not only mental and physical, but literal scars on your body from the swelling of the steroids. But it affected my view of the future. Because of what happened, Kelly, was there a season where you wanted to push yourself away from Christ or push him away from you? Was there a season like there was for me where, like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to read the Bible. I mean, you and I, honestly, we've never really talked about this. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time right here on this podcast people think I'm kidding. I'm not. You and I have never really went into this because I don't know that I felt that it was my place. But because you've grown so much, I feel confident today asking you, I think, now, if I were guessing, I think that you did go through what I went through, and you pushed Christ away, and you didn't really want to have anything to do with him for a while, or am I wrong? No, I would say that you're absolutely correct. I think more so in the actual time span of the hospital stay, I tried to lean on him more so then, but like I said, once I got out and I saw myself, and I I wasn't in a hospital room anymore, I was out in everyday life, and I was living this nightmare still, it was it was harder for me then. I It was hard to fathom where I had been, and therefore I almost just didn't want to look at it, and I couldn't believe it, and so it caused me to be angry because it was like, oh, wow, I was there, and I was in that situation for so long, and it seemed like there was no hope. How could you allow that? It was easier for me to almost be angry afterwards than it was during if that makes any no, sense. No, no, it, it, it makes perfect sense. I, I think for me, I was angry during, mm-hmm. after. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. I, mean, I, I Again, I, I finally have gotten to the place where I've accepted it. I don't have any choice but to accept it. But there were so many emotions of and feelings of, there, were, there was rage. I remember going into the men's room and punching the wall. I remember calling my board of directors and saying, I quit the ministry. Not that God needed me. But I quit. If this is the God who I thought I knew, who allows this with all these people praying, I'm done. How am I ever going to stand and tell people that God is a God of love? Again, I'm not proud of those things, but again, we're not sugarcoating anything today. We're just being real and transparent. But I think now that, again, there, there are some triggers still, but nowhere near like they once were. And really, for me, God and I, I just went AWOL on God. 
until we finally got home. And then one day I got in my closet. I hadn't read my Bible, and I can't tell you when I hadn't prayed. I was done. And I got in my closet and thought, you know what? I'm just I'm going to meet with God and see if I can get some clarity. And that's when I read the story of the disciples in the boat and the winds and the waves. And they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning? And I'm like, that's me, that's me, that's me. Mm-hmm. And But then when I saw that Jesus calmed the winds and the waves, I don't know, it just created a belief that where we're at right now isn't doesn't mean that's where we're always going to be. And God, I don't understand, but I have to accept it. And I'm going to believe that somehow, some way that you're going to turn this into good. Do you think, Kaylee, that your relationship with Christ now is finally getting back to where it was? Or do you think that's a process? Or do you think that's something that happens overnight? Or or what's your thought on that? Because, I mean, I'm sure there are people listening today that are maybe some of them are where you and I've been. They're angry. Or maybe right now they're in the confusion stage. Or maybe they're in the isolation stage. What about for you? Do you feel like this is something that maybe may take a lifetime to really rebuild that? Or do you think you've kind of moved past that or, or what? I think I'm in a better place than I have been in years since if we're talking about obviously since the time span of the hospital and that kind of being over with. I think I'm in a better place than I've been, but I'm not where I need to be. And it's still a difficult road to completely lean into that. Um, I think there's still a sense of me that has reservations and fears and kind of always looking behind my back, worried that I may wake up tomorrow and have the same thing start all over again. And so it's something I'm still working through, but I definitely have more of a sense of openness to him. And I think there's definitely been been a lot of progress compared to where I've been. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And I probably shouldn't share this and I'm probably revealing way too Mm. much. I left the office last night and I'd been reading about this revival that's taking place at this college campus. And I locked the door to our office. This is about 6.30 last night. And don't send emails because I'm, I, I, I can already imagine I'm going to get some negative feedback on this. And people saying, Jay, you're looking at it all wrong. I'm just being honest. So I locked the door at the office yesterday, 6.30 at night. I pushed the button to get on the elevator. I said, God, I need a new revival in my life. I mean, who doesn't? God, I need you to touch me. When I say revival, in other words, God, I need you to touch me in a fresh way. I need a new touch of you on my life. I need new favor. I need a new anointing. I need uh, the fire and of relationship with you fanned. And as soon as I said this audibly, because nobody's on our floor, the 11th floor at 630, I said audibly, but God, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. But I said, God, but please don't hurt me. Now, I hadn't planned on sharing that. I mean, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I know that's not the right perception. But because of what happened less than 24 hours ago, I'm asking God to do something. And I know why I asked him that audibly. It all goes back to you. It's, there was a certain fear to say, God, I, I want a stronger relationship with you. I want a new fire in my life. I want a new, a, a stronger passion for you, and I love God, but I want to love God more. I want to have more passion. But in the back of my mind, because of what I saw happen to you, and I didn't even think about that until right now. I mean, I knew I said it, but I'd never thought about why I said that yesterday. But I know in hindsight the reason I said it is because there's a certain fear. And, I again, I know that we're to fear God not from the aspect of God's going to harm us, but 
a reverential fear. But if I'm going to be honest, even though I know that's not who God is, they're still ingrained in me, mm-hmm. and I know it's wrong, that God may want to injure me to accomplish his greater purpose. So so another thing, Kaylee, I was wondering, have you gotten to the place, because I think there are people that are going to be listening to this podcast, and maybe they're in the middle of it, maybe they're in the front of the storm, or maybe they're in the middle of the storm, or maybe they're on the back end of a storm. And they're going, and, and again, I know we shouldn't ask why, we should ask what. God, what do you, I, I, I know that. We shouldn't ask why, we should ask how. How how can this be used to glorify God? How can this be used to build his kingdom? I, I get that, I know that. But I, I think that there are people in our human nature that I think some people never even know till they get to heaven. But I think a lot of people are going, gosh, God, what are you trying to show me? I mean, what is the purpose? If you truly believe in Christ and you believe his word, you've got to believe that everything God allows, I don't believe he caused your stills, but he allowed it. But everything God allows, he has a good purpose for that. We all know the verse that all things work together for good to those that love God that are called together according to his purpose. All things. In other words, God is going to use even the worst of things and somehow turn it into good. We see this all through the Scripture. People thrown in the lion's den. God uses it to change the heart of a king. People are thrown into a fiery furnace. God uses it to change a nation. A, a Goliath is brought against a shepherd boy. God uses it to show his strength. We, we get that. But are you in a place yet where you have discovered what God? what does God want to do with what happened to you? Have you figured that out yet? Do you have any idea? Are you able to say, okay, yeah, it was terrible, it hurts, but yet I know that one of or several of or some of the purposes of this are blank. I wouldn't say I know the specific purpose for that specific situation, but I already felt like there's a call in my life to like share my story, help other people, share my story and help other people. So I know that it plays a part in that and my testimony will play a part in that. So I'm kind of just leaning into that. I don't know what specifically though. Yeah, well... My belief is, and this is not just for Kelly, this is for everybody that's listening. I believe that oftentimes you can find your mission by looking at your biggest scar. I believe that. That oftentimes your greatest life purpose is tied to your greatest life's pain. And so I I don't want to put words in your mouth, Kaylee, but I know even what we're doing today, I even from the numerous emails I got from people all over the world who found hope through your story, I know for a fact that one of the reasons that God has allowed it is so that you can be a voice to people who are encountering their own pain. Nobody wants to hear from somebody who has never really struggled. It's easy to praise God and sing the worship songs and mm-hmm. when things are going your way. And I'm not talking about people that got the flu or had a cold or had a headache. But people who have been severely injured relate most to people who have been severely injured. There are people that have had cancer, leukemia, whatever, that have not been in the hospital six months straight. I mean, there's not a lot of people that have lived that story. And so, and then I even look at the scriptures, Kaylee, and I go, the people that I respect the most, the heroes of the Bible, I mean, almost all of them went through the greatest pain. And thank God for that, because... If we didn't have them, I, I think we wouldn't have the hope that we do. And so I know that one of the reasons, of course, I don't know all of them, and I don't think that you will either, 
until one day we get to heaven. And then even when we get to heaven, I don't even know if it's going to matter then because we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. But I know that one of the reasons is even what we're doing today. I know one of the reasons is the thousands of people, literally thousands of people that have been inspired by your story and by what God has done, even saving your life. Well, you know, we're getting close to wrapping this thing up. And I just wonder, Kaylee, for people, I mean, you now can not only relate to people who are dealing with severe pain, but you can also understand. You've been there. You've been on death's doorstep numerous times. You've been in a place where you literally didn't know if you were ever going to recover. You've been in a wheelchair. You've been able to not, you've been in a position where you were unable to walk, not knowing if you ever would again. You're in a situation even currently where you have a disease that as of right now, unless God does a miracle, there is no cure. What would you say today? And again, it may be somebody that's going through a divorce. It may be somebody who has a kid that's suffering. I mean, we could just go through a laundry list. I mean, the other day there was an earthquake in Turkey. Thousands have been killed. I mean, there's a constant, there's constant pain everywhere we turn. What would you say is someone who has literally been in the depths of sorrow of agony, of pain, and hopelessness, what would you say to those people today? I would say it's okay to feel whatever emotion you're feeling. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be all three at once. There's nothing that God will allow that he won't understand your emotion through it. I think it's good to feel those things. I think it's healthy to feel those things. And I think it's good to reach out for help as well. It can be very uncomfortable and it can be hard to find someone that you may feel like fits you. But there was a part of me that wanted to put off therapy for years. And I found that I made the quickest healing once I actually started to really try and face those deep-rooted issues and those things where, those things that I was dealing with. I would encourage you to kind of take an inward look and think, okay, I'm feeling this way. I know that I'm not the only one. Maybe go out of your way to try and heal and help others. I think some of the some of the times that I found the most healing was through other people, hearing other people's experiences, encouraging other people, and letting and allowing other people to encourage me has helped me find a lot of healing through through the years. Yeah, I think I think there's some good words there. Number one, I I love what you said about you know, going to therapy or going to counseling. I know there's people that listen to this podcast and go, just pray it away. Well, friend, if you're saying that you haven't had faced major depression, and sometimes God does do a miraculous healing, but God doesn't always work that way. And sometimes it's good to have a person on the outside that can give godly advice and that can help work through the issues. There's, It doesn't show a lack of faith by going and, and to therapy or getting counseling, no more so than if you're sick, taking medication to help you feel better. I, I think that's really important. I, th- I think too, Kaylee, you made a great statement in finding your mission that sometimes what brings the greatest relief is not focusing on your own problems, but trying to help solve other people's, sympathizing with their pain, trying to relate to them, trying to help them through their situations. I think sometimes that's one of the easiest ways to shift the focus away from our sorrow, because we're now focusing on trying to help somebody else. And obviously, ultimately, our greatest healer, and I I believe this, and 
undoubtedly it's Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. For me, I'm never going to quit praying that God is going to heal you of Steele's disease. I know there's a possibility that God may not do that. And if God decides not to do that, believe it or not, I've come to a place where I've accepted that as well. Because I know ultimately, while I want you to be healed today, I know that ultimately there is healing. That ultimately the day is going to come when this disease, and it may not be to the other side, but it's going to happen. Now, I do believe that Jesus Christ hung on that cross. I believe he rose from the grave. And I do believe what the scripture says, that by his wounds we are healed. And so I'm praying for that. And I'm believing for that. But we're also taking the necessary steps between now and then to get all the help that we possibly can. My faith was shaken, Kaylee. Your faith was shaken. I can say I believe for both of us that even though our faith was shaken, it has stayed strong. There have been times of weakness. There have been times of bitterness. There's been times of anger. There has been times of separation between us and God. But the anchor has held strong. We still love God. We still don't understand his ways. We still wish certain things didn't happen. But we trust that somehow, some way, and I believe this, Kaylee, about you, and I believe it for everybody that's listening, that if we will continue to trust Christ, we'll walk by faith, that God is going to use our biggest struggle to have the greatest impact for his kingdom. As I said before, I believe the most broken people oftentimes are the most effective in the Lord's work. And so I say to those of you today, whatever you're going through, you may be angry, you may be hurting, you may feel like God is a million miles away. He's not forsaking you. You may have forsaken him. He's not forsaking you. He still loves you, and he still wants to use everything that's happened in your life for your good and for his kingdom. Kaylee, any final thoughts today? No. Shaking your head, no. No. Well, it's been it's so great to have you on it. And let me just say as we wrap up, Again, I want to say it one more time. I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I truly believe that Kaylee is alive today, unequivocally and undeniably. This, again, isn't one of those stories of, oh, I could have died. No, literally, Kaylee was on death's door. I truly believe that Kaylee is alive today because of the thousands and thousands of you all over the world who cared enough to pray for my daughter. I am forever indebted to you, and Kaylee, I know you are as well. Of course, yes. We'll catch you next time on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder.